Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join all you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm, from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much.
the Michael Savage Podcast. Today I'm going to talk about something positive. I looked at the news and I was going to talk about the news. I can't even stomach reading the news right now. It's so sickening what the left is doing to the country. So I said to you today, with all the negative news in the world, we're thinking about doing some positive podcasts. I would like to do some shows of my favorite books, starting with The Importance of Living by Lin Yutang. And I asked you on Twitter and Facebook, what do you think of some positive podcasts? What would you like to hear? I was amazed at the replies. I'm going to read some of them to you because I didn't know how diverse the interests were of you, my audience. So let's go back to this one. Italiano says, would love to hear a podcast dedicated to your knowledge of jazz and the beat generation. There's not much I could say about that. Either you like jazz and you understand it or you don't. The Beat Generation was, well, it's a mixed bag. Um, Jack Kerouac was the real McCoy, uh, knew what he was talking about, and he was politically very conservative. He hated Allen Ginsberg. He despised him. He called him the devil. That's all I have to say about the Beat Generation. One says, I don't know if it's positive. I always like your restaurant stories. I wish you would devote a once-a-month podcast to herbs, plants, natural healers, immune strengtheners, and supplements to share your expertise, says Terry Graham. You know, the truth is, many people want me to do a show on those subjects, and I may one day, but not today. Another one says, summaries of great books you have read, cooking, history lessons, real estate. Interesting. James Rodriguez says, your God shows are always great. Another one for natural healing. Another one says, uh, I love your stories about the jobs you had in early life. You could solicit similar stories from listeners and read a few. Weird jobs, messy jobs, the scrabbling kids do before finding their path. About a year ago, you featured some live callers. That would be a cool way to do it. Interesting. Jason says, my best memories of all the years of listening are the topics other than politics. The storytelling about growing up, the days when SF used to be nice, etc., you have such a unique perspective coupled with the ability to share it. Okay. I can't get that positive. Sorry. Another listener says, I love Eastern philosophy. This podcast would be awesome. And by the way, that's what this podcast in a way is. Lin Yutang represents Eastern philosophy, but that's not what it's about for me. It's about life philosophy. Let's see what else. How about an ethnobotanist podcast as Ben Lutrario? For example, maybe a show centered around Richard Evan Schultes and his work with hallucinogens and his work with the rubber trees. He's a fascinating character, in my opinion. I answered him and I said, I actually met Richard Evan Schultes at Harvard in my early years as an ethnobotanist. In fact, my master's thesis, my first master's in ethnobotany, which was published at the Harvard Botanical Museum in the Journal of Ethnobotany, I quote Schultes because he wrote like a poet. Fascinating man. No one knows who he is other than you and me. Carrie Birmingham says, yes, instead of division and strife, this would be great on nature, peace, and unity. This sounds like a fantastic idea during these difficult times. Your thoughts and recommendations regarding the benefits of houseplants. Another one says, I'd like you to do a show all about the music you like from classical and doo-wop to jazz and heavy metal. That would be amazing. Well, you just did it for me. <laughs> I like all of that music, to be honest with you. You know, when I want to wash my fears and concerns away, I turn the volume way up and go to my Apple Music app through my car stereo in my Corvette, and I do go somewhere else. I love music. I don't know how life is possible without art and music. I absolutely love hearing your knowledge on clean and healthy dietary lifestyle I stay away from negativity, bad energy. How about a cooking show, cookbook by you, Dr. Savage? I did one years ago. I did one called the Antioxidant Cookbook. No one even knows about it. A lot of people want nutrition, herbal medicine stuff. Robin Sullivan says, I sang for Lin Yutang at an event honoring him with a small high school choral group in Taiwan, 1966. I can't believe that. My mother was quite a fan of his philosophy and writings. Actually, she was a huge fan of yours, Michael. That's why I listened Still, God bless you. Thanks, Robin. Another one wants medicinal plants and nutrition. Another one wants me to give them cooking lessons. <laughs> I know what's this about cooking lessons. Uh, let's see. Can't do a podcast on cooking because you need to do video with that. Shannon Elizabeth Spence says, I love when you read the Aries horoscope. Hearing some positive news will be a lift up. 
readings from your writing, who was at the helm. You remember that? Your time in Fiji and passages from God, faith, and reason. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I missed all those times you spoke of your mom and her cooking and mentioning Chinese food. Not sure if I did that right, but it was always fun to hear those. Um, you said once human internet stories were on the front burner some time ago. I don't understand that. Joe Laramie says, I really like it when you speak about Judeo-Christian religion. Our country was founded on and made great by. You're right about that. The Golden Sledgehammer says, how about some positive news about the new Artemis space program launching tomorrow? This was written on Sunday. It is named after the twin sister of Apollo in Greek mythology to signify that it is the modern incarnation of the agency's Apollo program, which sent astronauts to the moon for the first time. Well, it was scrubbed today because of a fuel leak, unfortunately. Brian says, how about anybody can move here and become an American, yet you can't move to any other country and become Italian, Chinese, Russian? Maybe the stories of those who moved here and were proud to keep their heritage, yet also become proud Americans. That's true. Alex Baker says, have been in the doldrums since Obama's presidency. I can hardly imagine getting out of it. I, you know, that's a good line. Your greatest shows are the ones off topic about today's world. Things like medicine, health, plants, vitamins, God and religion have always been what has separates your show from everyone else. Go for it and thanks for everything. Well, I do that. Peter Stramaro says books about growing up in Queens, New York. Maybe that would be okay, but not right now. Tell us about the people you have met, known who are your inspirations, cooking and nutrition shows, man's search for meaning. Uh-huh. Here's one that's interesting um, from Testosterone 1451. The 2020s has many sexual mores similar to the key party culture of the 1970s. What happened to those that lived free from your era and where are they now thematically wise and funny? He says, most of my friends are obsessed with psychedelics, polyamory, and MDMA. Where does it lead? Wow. I hear about that. I hear that uh, there's a huge interest in psychedelics and a huge interest in a lack of any sense of uh, morality of the type that uh, supported America and made this country great originally, and that we're basically degenerating into a pack of wild filth. Other than that, I have nothing to say. These people will burn out. Their lives will be over before they're 50. They'll be burnt husks with nothing in their life. Mr. Plebeian says, as long as you do it in your trademark philosophical take on how life could be, then go for it. How neighbors help each other. How about a show on pets? A lot of people care for them and love them a lot. Anything besides politics would be greatly appreciated. Tell us about your favorite books, authors, and musicians. Okay. And those are some of the replies that I got. Oh, here's a nice one. I want to hear about the end of civilization as we knew it. This is a historic event, becoming a banana republic in the twinkling of an eye. Took 200 years to make America great and only one generation to destroy it. R.I.P. America. Ugh. I'm not so sure it's over. See, I have a bit of an optimistic streak at the bottom of my pessimism. Right. At the bottom of my naturally pessimistic personality, there's an optimistic Michael. And I believe that what will happen is the have-nots who work, who work for what they get and suddenly have something to hold on to, are not going to throw it away because a group of leftist scum from the universities want them to become serfs in the new Maoist America. Another one says, yes, culture shows totally want them. The daily rat-a-tat-tat sewer of politics is an acid bath. Throw in a base and move us to the middle of the pH scale. Ha, ha, ha. Nice one. I want you to talk about you watching your neighbor fall off the roof. You're watching your neighbor fall off the roof. He understands that. Because in the book, The Importance of Living, Lin Yutang writes that uh, um, life consists not of the wild excesses of philosophy, but in getting your hair cut every two weeks and watching your neighbor fall off the roof. I never forgot that. It was a guidepost for me for many, many years, getting your hair cut every two weeks and watching your neighbor fall off the roof. I must, must tell you, I've not had my hair cut by a barber since COVID. I now cut my own hair like a prisoner in a bad movie, and I do a horrible job, but I do the best I can. I found that I don't need a barber. And number two, I won't go to a barber now with monkey pox, sorry. 
And as far as watching a neighbor fall off the roof, you know, what does that mean? I mean, I've seen two neighbors commit suicide. I haven't I didn't see them. One was very famous, or I will not mention. The other was not famous, but a great man uh, who Teddy tried to save while he was swimming in the San Francisco Bay. The man was a great man who suffered terribly from cancer. I had another great friend suffered terribly and fought cancer for three years and shrunk. I had another great friend built like an oak tree who suffered from cancer and shrunk. That's your neighbor falling off the roof, and it's not very pleasant to watch. Let me tell you that. Not very pleasant at all. And there's a few more. Old stories of growing up in New York and your dogs are a favorite. Maybe you have your son on to talk about his journey to success. And finally, Teresa Washington says, keep your enemies close, Dr. Savage. I don't know if that's a threat or a promise. But here, my friends, is today's podcast, The Importance of Living by Lin Yu Tang, as interpreted by the one and only me, Michael Savage. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate your listenership. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. I hear from friends who are also subscribers to my podcast that they don't look at certain news outlets anymore because they cannot take the negativity. Not only the anti-Trump negativity, but the news in general. Everywhere they turn, it's black and horrible and the world's coming to an end. And I suppose they're right. The news is terrible. It's very toxic. So I thought that today I would go in another direction and talk about my favorite books, especially a positive book such as The Importance of Living by Lin Yu Tang, probably never heard of by most of you unless you've been listening to my radio show over the years. When I was 18 years old, you see, I went through the sufferings of young worth a phase, as many teenagers or at late adolescents do. Life seemed hopeless to me and I was depressed. And... Um, well, I used to hang around with a different group of guys, and one of them had a father who was a little intellectual. Most of the men in my background were working men or had small stores and didn't read very much, maybe a newspaper now and again. But uh, this guy's father was a little different. I don't know what he did for a living. I thought he was a concert musician. Who knows? But we all had the same social. We were in the same social strata, but he was a, a, a reader. For some reason... He gave me a book called The Importance of Living, and it was uh, written by a Chinese guy named Lin Yu Tang. I never heard of him. I didn't know what the hell was in the book. Then I looked at the cover when I got home, and it said, blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, we are in danger, the author says, of forgetting that we are animals and that life cannot be separated from animal activities. I said, that's interesting, because at 18, you're an animal. And the cover went on to say, life doesn't consist of achievement in making a fortune in the mental sallies of philosophers or the imaginative flights of poets. Life rather consists in the enjoyment of ourselves and one another, of home, of rocks and trees and stars and sounds, or to quote directly, in having a haircut once in two weeks or watering a potted flower or watching a neighbor fall off his roof, unquote. <laughs> I don't know. That stuck with me, and I loved it. It went on to say, life is to be valued in itself because we are living here and now and not as a means to attain other ends. Now, what's interesting about the book is that Lin Yu Tang, I was raised by a missionary family and he had been very religious. And then he discovered that he wasn't religious. And at the end of his life, he went back to becoming very religious and very Christian. But this book is not a book about religion. So as I say, I was going through a phase of not knowing what to do with my life, and I opened up the contents page, and I saw things that I had never seen before about life. And he quoted Confucius in the beginning, and it said, it is not truth that makes man great, but man that makes truth great. But here's the one that really got me as an 18-year-old by Chang Chao. Only those who take leisurely what the people of the world are busy about can be busy about what the people of the world take leisurely. I love that. 
That means if you're on vacation, enjoy it. That means don't be guilty if you love a sunset. That means don't be guilty if you love breathing the air or drinking a fresh cup of coffee at sunrise. This book was copyrighted in 1937. I discovered it when I was 18. And I'm not going to read you the whole book, but I'm going to read you some of my favorite pieces from it. And I remember the stuff that saved me because I didn't know, you know, where to go in life, what to do, what to be. And, of course, the book taught me not to try to be something because you already are something. And there's a whole section called Our Animal Heritage in the Image of the Monkey. (laughs) I like that one on being mortal, on having a stomach, on having strong muscles, on having a mind. I like that because it meant I could not be guilty about being what I was and feeling what I was feeling. You get it? Now, I cannot read you the whole book, obviously. I'm sure it's going to trigger some of you going to look for the book. Then there was a chapter called The Importance of Loafing, Man the Only Working Animal. I love that one. The Chinese Theory of Leisure, The Cult of the Idle Life, This Earth, the Only Heaven, love that. What is luck? I love that, what is luck. Maybe I'll read that to you today. And Three American Vices. I got to see what what is luck is about in a minute. And then here was my favorite one, chapter nine, The Enjoyment of Living. On lying in bed, I could buy that. On sitting in chairs, okay, I thought, that's great. On conversation, on drink and wine games, on food and medicine. Uh, The Inhumanity of Western Dress, on house and interiors. I learned so much from this book that has stayed with me most of my life, and maybe I need to relearn it. Because again, I'm going through another angst at this phase of my life. A different phase of angst, but an older guy looking back. Look at this one. Uh, I, I have to look at this one. Oh, I didn't ever saw this on Growing Old Gracefully. Wow, that's for me. I, I got to make a note on that one. On Growing Old Gracefully. I'm not going to read that because that's for me to read to myself. But I'm going to go back and I'm going to start with one of my favorite pieces today from uh, this book. And um, oh, I remember what the, on the Chinese family ideal It helped me pick a beautiful wife, a wonderful woman who I've had wonderful children with. And it was about, I know it sounds so odd to say this, but he he was saying that um, the Chinese would pick a wife based upon what children you would have with her, meaning based on the genetics of the wife. I know you can't say that. No, I'm going to pick an ugly, sick person for a wife. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I mean, it was pretty interesting. It was like having a wise uncle talk to me or a wise grandfather who I never had. The Savage Nation. It's savage on demand. But I'm going to start with a simple piece called Chin's 33 Happy Moments because I have gone back to this so many times in my life, and I'm going to tell you what this is about. And this is uh, under the Feast of Life. And um, he writes this. Chin Sheng Tan was a great critic of the 17th century, has given us between his commentaries an enumeration of the happy moments which he once counted together with his friend when they were shut up in a temple for 10 days on account of rainy weather. These then are what he considers the truly happy moments of human life, moments in which the spirit is inextricably tied up with the senses. So I'll skip around in Chin's 33 happy moments and tell me as you're hearing them, if you can't recall, ladies and gentlemen of the Savage Nation, your real happy moments in life. Let's see, I don't know where to begin. So many of them are so good. I have pulled out the hot tang and chi ching in front of my studio and I've just planted 10 or 20 green banana trees there. Ah, is this not happiness? To hear children recite the classics so fluently like the sound of pouring water from a vase. Ah, is this not happiness? Having nothing to do after a meal, I go to the shops and take a fancy to a little thing. After bargaining for some time, we still haggle about a small difference, but the shop boy still refuses to sell it. Then I take out a little thing from my sleeve, which is worth about the same thing as the difference, and throw it at the boy. The boy suddenly smiles and bows courteously, saying, oh, you are too generous. Ah, is this not happiness? Of course, you can't do that at Walmart, but I'm giving you an example. Um, Here's one. 
I have nothing to do after a meal and try to go through the things in some old trunks. I see there are dozens or hundreds of IOUs from people who owe my family money. Some of them are dead and some are still living. But in any case, there is no hope of their returning the money. Behind people's backs, I put them together in a pile and make a bonfire of them. And I looked up to the sky and see the last trace of smoke disappear. Ah, is this not happiness? I wake up in the morning and seem to hear someone in the house sighing and saying that last night someone died. I immediately ask to find out who it is and learn that it is the sharpest, most calculating fellow in town. Ah, is this not happiness? You get it? Here's a beauty. It's been raining for a whole month, and I lie in bed in the morning like one drunk or ill, refusing to get up. Suddenly, suddenly I hear a chorus of birds announcing a clear day. Quickly, I pull aside the curtain, push open the window, and see the beautiful sun shining and glistening, and the forest looks like having a bath. Ah, is this not happiness? There are so many others, but I'm giving you an example of the stuff that I love. I am drinking on a winter's night, and suddenly note that the night has turned extremely cold. I push open the window and see that snowflakes come down the size of a palm, and there are already three or four inches of snow on the ground. Ah, is this not happiness? Think about the poetry of that line written in, in, uh, in the 17th century by this critic that Mr. Lin Yutang is quoting. Have you not seen such beauty and felt happy? Well, there are your moments of happiness. Here's one I always loved. To cut with a sharp knife a bright green watermelon on a big scarlet plate of a summer afternoon. Ah, is this not happiness? In other words, take pleasure in the simplest things you can imagine. Here's a weird one. To keep three or four spots of eczema in a private part of my body and now and then to scald or bathe it with hot water behind closed doors. Ah, is this not happiness? Uh, Let's see. There's so many others, but some of them are antiquated in a sense that you cannot relate to them anymore. When a good piece of old porcelain is broken, you know there is no hope of repairing it. The more you turn it about and look at it, the more you are exasperated. I then hand it to the cook, asking him to use it as any old vessel and give orders that he shall never let that broken porcelain bowl come within my sight again. Ah, uh, is this not happiness? I mean, that's a beauty. As an antiques collector, I understand that. Here's one. I am not a saint, and I am therefore not without sin. In the night, I did something wrong, and I get up in the morning and feel extremely ill at ease about it. Suddenly, I remember what is taught by Buddhism, that not to cover one's sins is the same as repentance. So then I begin to tell my sin to the entire company around, whether they are strangers or my old friends. Aha, is this not happiness? That's sort of the original, original group therapy. Here's one I love, for those of you who have let flies out of windows. To open the window and let a wasp out of the room. Ah, is this not happiness? Here's a few more, and then we'll end the uh, importance of living. The chin's 33 happy, happy moments. <laughs> to see someone's kite line broken. Ah, is this not happiness? You see, even in, in being sarcastically funny, to see a wild prairie fire. Ah, is this not happiness? Anyway, you get the picture. And then he ends it by saying, now we come back to Lin Yutang after quoting uh, these 33 happy moments. He says, poor Byron, who had only three happy hours in his life, either of a morbid and enormously unbalanced spirit, or else he was affecting merely the fashionable Welshmares of his decade. When the feeling of Welshmares is not so fashionable, I feel bound to suspect that he must have confessed to at least 33 happy hours instead of three. And then Lin Yutang goes on to say that the world is truly a feast of life spread out for us to enjoy merely through the senses senses, and a type of culture which recognizes these sensual pleasures, therefore makes it possible for us, frankly, to admit them. And you see, he's talking about our bodies and our senses and our animal senses, that our life really isn't about philosophy so much. Because he says, unless these philosophers can actually sublimate matter and etherealize our body into a soul without nerves, without taste, without smell, and without sense of color and motion and touch, and unless we are ready to go the whole way with the Hindu mortifiers of the flesh, 
let us face ourselves bravely as we are. For only a philosophy that recognizes reality can lead us into true happiness. And only that kind of philosophy is sound and healthy. And he goes back again to the animal body. That's what I was getting at. And from this book, I learned how to relax and not be so serious and worry about the future and to just live in the present and enjoy myself. Now, looking back, I must tell you, I worked very hard, probably harder than anyone I know. And so at that phase of my life, I decided to not work too hard because I didn't know which way to turn. And so if it was my philosophy right now, Michael Savage talking to you, and I would say to you, well, which one is right? Is it lying in bed? Is it sitting in chairs? Is it drinking wine? Is it just having a good time? Is it like Chin's 33 happy moments or is it productivity? My answer is it would be both. See, it would be both. It's not either or. It's both and. That's another piece of philosophy that I learned later on in life. It's not either or. It's both and. Because I never knew that you could be both up and down, like yin and yang rather in life. And it's a beautiful piece I'm going to read you in a moment called What is Luck? Because I've looked back on this in my life and I've seen this to be amazing. Let me have a sip of coffee and have one of my happy moments. You know, this is a happy moment for me. To be recording a podcast in the privacy of my own home with no one here. Ah, is this not happiness? To wake up and not really want to go out today because I didn't really want to go anywhere and see that it's cloudy and the air is filled with smoke from Northern California forest fires. Ah, is this not happiness? Because now I can stay in and read from books. So um, let me read (laughs) from what is luck now uh, in in the importance of loafing. And he says, uh, the peculiar contribution of Taoism to the creation of the idle temperament lies in the recognition that there are no such things as luck and adversity. The great Taoist teaching is the emphasis on being overdoing, character over achievement, and calm over action. But inner calm is possible only when man is not disturbed by the vicissitudes of fortune. The great Taoist philosopher Lietze gave the famous parable of the old man at the fort, and he quotes him now. I love this one. Are you ready for this one? An old man was living with his son at an abandoned fort at the top of a hill, and one day he lost the horse. Neighbors came to express their sympathy for this misfortune, and the old man asked, How do you know this is bad luck? A few days afterwards, his horse returned with a number of wild horses, and his neighbors came again to congratulate him on the stroke of fortune, and the old man replied, How do you know this is good luck? With so many horses around, his son began to take to riding, and one day he broke his leg. Again the neighbors came around to express their sympathy, and the old man replied, How do you know this is bad luck? The next year there was a war, and because the old man's son was crippled, he did not have to go to the front. (laughs) i'm sorry where do you read where do you get stuff like this i mean you turn the news on it's didactic left right this right that right left right left right left right see philosophy how important it is and he ends this little introduction of that story and he says evidently this kind of philosophy enables a man to stand a few hard knocks in life in the belief that there are no such things as hard knocks without advantages Like metals, they always have a reverse side. The possibility of calm, the distaste for mere action and bustle, and the running away from success and achievement are possible with this kind of philosophy. A philosophy which says, nothing matters to a man who says nothing matters. He goes on to say, the desire for success is killed by the shrewd hunch that the desire for success means very much the same thing as the fear of failure. The greatest success a man has made, the more he fears a climb down. The elusive rewards of fame are pitched against the tremendous advantages of obscurity. From the Taoist point of view, an educated man is one who believes he has not succeeded when he has, but is not so sure he has failed when he fails, while the mark of the half-educated man is his assumption that his outward successes and failures are absolutely real. Unbelievably perfect. I could read more. 
I'll read more on that little piece on what is luck, and I'll end it with that today. On, I'll end it with that for, for now. He finishes it up, this thing on what is luck with. Hence, the distinction between Buddhism and Taoism is this. The goal of the Buddhist is that he shall not want anything, while the goal of the Taoist is that he shall not be wanted at all. Only he who is not wanted by the public can be a carefree individual, and only he who is a carefree individual can be a happy human being. In this spirit, Chung Tsi, the greatest and most gifted among the Taoist philosophers, continually warns us against being too prominent, too useful, and too serviceable. Pigs are killed and offered on the sacrificial altar when they become too fat, and beautiful birds are the first to be shot by the hunter for their beautiful plumage. In this sense, he told the parable of two men going to desecrate a tomb and robbing the corpse. They hammer the corpse's forehead, break his cheekbones and smash his jaws, all because the dead man was foolish enough to be buried with a pearl in his mouth. The inevitable conclusion of all this philosophizing is, why not loaf? I'm Michael Savage, and I just read to you from The Importance of Living, and I should say, I'll be right back, but I'm not sure with what, right here on the Michael Savage Podcast. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Well, you know, on Sunday this last weekend, I decided to stream live on YouTube, and I gave another Sunday sermon in which I talked about philosophy, movies, longevity, mortality, and politics as well. And I really think you're going to listen to it and love it. Let me know what you think. Would you please? I'd appreciate it. I don't have a script. I have an idea. And from the idea, the show will grow. The sermon will grow. So give me a moment as I set up the phone in the studio because I'm alone again, which I like to be. I think alone. I work alone. Listen, turn it around. There we go. So here we are. We will turn the camera sideways to get a better angle. Put it in the old holder. Now, last time I did a wonderful a Sunday sermon that was extremely popular. And I'm just resetting the camera this time so it's a little more in tune with what I want. I don't want to show the screens on the right. I'd like to frame it out for you like this. You're now behind the scenes. <laughs> Orientation locked. What? Rotate back? What do you mean locked? Rotate device back. Okay. I don't know why it won't let me do that. It's telling me the orientation is no good. I don't know what it means. Everything's in orientation now. You know, is it a transgender phone or what? What do you mean orientation is locked? Anyone out there? Is anyone out there listening to me? If you're listening to me, comment. I want to see the comments rolling along. Well, I'm going to sit down and start my Sunday sermon, assuming that we're rolling, and according to my timer, we're rolling. And here we are in the Michael Savage studio. There we go. I see the comments. Let me get my glasses while you're looking at my desk. Transgender phone, ha, ha, ha. Hello from Finland. Love, I love the Finnish people. I don't know about your leader. Uh, the two women rubbing their breasts together and then they want war with Russia? Excuse me. If you were Putin, you'd be, you'd be rolling in your fear grave, right? What a crazy world. All the Nordic countries that were once ruled by um, these incredible Vikings, now run by radical feminists who rub their breasts together in a dance club. Wow, what a world. Hello from Asia. Okay, so that's the orientation of the phone. I hope you like it. I should probably go across the floor to the other side. <laughs> to the other side. Where's the mic? Can you still hear me now? I'm sure you can. Uh, here I go. I hope the microphone's fine. So I'm going to begin today's Sunday sermon with one of my favorite props, which is the hourglass, which needs no explanation. Sands of time. We are a speck of sand through time. Now, I know many of you think that you are the hourglass, um, but you're not. You're just a speck of sand through time. There are eight billion of us on the planet. 
give or take a few hundred million. So what distinguishes me from you and you from me and me from he and we from me from ever? Well, get an old Beatles song, because I don't have the answer. If we're just a speck of sand, then what meaning does life have? Why bother? Why do anything? Why paint a great painting? Why compose a great piece of music? Why write a great story or a great book? Why try to make every podcast a work of art, which I do? I have no answer for you. Because I believe in the dignity of human life and I believe in the... Well, I don't know. I don't have a direct answer for that. So we'll put away the sands of time for a moment. We'll put it behind us, assuming it's still recording. And what I'm going to do is go to some books today because I sent out a message to my followers on Twitter, Facebook, but most particularly to my membership list of those who subscribe to my podcast and asked them if they'd like me to do a podcast coming Tuesday of one of my favorite books, which I started to do today called The Importance of Living by Lin Yu Tang. You notice I'm not peddling someone's book. It's not a commercial book. It's probably available only as a used book. I'm going to get up in a minute and see if everything's still recording. Will you go on the comments and say, yes, I can hear you fine, so I can continue? I have nobody here to tell me, so I'll be right on this side of the phone, reading your comments. Archangel Samuel says movement. If you're listening to the podcast, I love your outfit. Okay, so you saw it. How's my voice on the other side of it? Yes, we need more volume. More volume. Okay. Now how in the hell do I do that? I'm going to press the volume button. I don't quite understand what's wrong here. Sound audio is quieter in the chair. Hmm. Yeah, I was afraid of that. Good volume now. Okay, so the button up helped a little bit. Yes, button better. You're good now. The further away from the phone, the worse the mic. So I'm going to come closer to the phone, like right here. How's that? That's the issue, because I was too far back. And even though God has granted me a great voice, there's a limitation to everything in terms of reality, right? So let me tell you about today. I woke up today, and my inner compass said... As I went to sleep last night, I took a friend of mine to dinner at a wonderful little restaurant I go to. I've known it for 40 years. It's the only place I eat in now. I, I've avoided all, almost all other places. I can give it a plug. It doesn't matter. I just don't want to see it. people up there. I, the Chalet Baskets in a, a Basque restaurant up in uh, Northern Marin. I knew, I knew Father Roger. I know the son, the mother. It's a wonderful family story. The food is so pure. I went with a friend, and um, I decided that today I would go to the beach. I just needed to hear the ocean. I just say, Something in me said either go to a museum and see some of your favorite paintings in the Young Museum or the Palace of the Legion of Honor, which I haven't been to for over a year. COVID came, and then I just don't want to be around people, crowds. I don't like the guards in these museums. They're very racist towards white people. Oh, did I say that? Yeah, I said that. Yeah, I said that. It's sickening. It's like living in a nightmare. They think you're going to go and rob the painting or touch the painting. I'm probably amongst the most civilized of people ever walk through a museum. Get some animals off the gutter. They probably give them the keys to the museum. This is the world you're living in and the Maoist revolution that has occurred. And it didn't occur just under Biden. It started a long time ago. It's just escalating so rapidly that I'm not going to talk about it anymore. So I lost a friend. And I did a podcast, A Great American, Truly Great American. What person calls themselves a great American without embarrassment? How can anyone say you're a great American, you're a great American? How can you say that? Now, anyone can do a podcast or a TV show about politics. It's very easy to do. If you're on one side, you say the other side's bad. If you're on the other side, you say the other side's bad. Okay, that's the way it works. Now, if you don't do it with any subtlety or any understanding or knowledge of history, it's worthless. That's why people are turning off the news. I know very intelligent people who love America, who see what the communists are doing to the country. They know Bernie Sanders is pulling the strings along with occasional cortex, the most dangerous person in American history. Occasional cortex is the Evita Perón of America. She could be president. And if she is, you'll wind up in a concentration camp or cleaning toilets. That's what she will do to you, they say to me, as I say to them. 
So I don't want to do politics today. I did want to do a sermon of some sorts, and it's a Sunday. So as I said, I went to sleep, and to put myself to sleep last night after dinner, I felt great. I had a half a bottle of white wine and wonderful food. Drove back from the restaurant, and as I, I don't know what I watched on TV. I watched some movie. I try to avoid violence. There's almost nothing I can watch. I turn Netflix on, it lasts four minutes now. Every movie is worse than the one before it. Uh, speaking of movies, uh, I did see a couple of good ones this week. I'm, I'm not getting into the sermon. I'm just warming you up. As you know, I, 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 when you go into a church or a synagogue, and the modern uh, preachers or rabbis, they try to warm you up with a story, a personal story. So maybe that's what I'm doing. I'm warming me up. Can you hear me now? I hope you can hear me now. So I saw two good movies this week, but I, I got so bored of what I'm seeing that... I searched for, on demand, one of my favorite movies of all time, little known, Philip Seymour Hoffman, great actor, died of a H overdose. It's called Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Andy, I hope you're checking your messages because we have a real mess here. There's two terminated employees from your department still drawing checks. You owe me three months. I don't owe you. I owe Danielle. You can do it. You can do it. Anybody can. Unbelievable movie with uh, Albert Finney while he was still alive playing a father. You got to watch this movie without giving it away. It's so well done that I've watched it numerous times. I watched that movie before the devil knows you're dead. And it was better the last time I watched it than the other times I watched it before because each scene is worth studying again. It's like when I rewatch The Sopranos, which I do quite often. It doesn't get better, but I realized what a great work of art The Sopranos were, was, and I still, I knew it then. There's almost not a scene or a frame in The Sopranos that's not right. Those of you who are in the film world or the video world, you know what I'm saying. Not a frame that's off in The Sopranos, so I can watch it then. But I know the storyline already is a little boring. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. So I switched. So I watched the movie, as I was saying, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which is a great Irish saying. <laughs> I think it's something about you should be in heaven for 30 minutes before the devil knows you're dead. I don't know the whole phrase. It's quite clever. The Irish have certain, certainly a way with words. And then when it, it's ended, it was on some one of these weird channels that it took me to, like Hulu or Shmulu or Zulu. Well, I don't know what it was. At the end, it says, you may want to see these. And one of them caught my eye called... God's Pocket. I said, oh, okay. So I, I, I checked it out. It said, it's about South Philadelphia, I think in the 60s or 70s, a rough neighborhood of Irish and Italian. I think these are Italians. And what goes on there in this neighborhood. But in it was Philip Seymour Hoffman again. And John Turturro, great actor. And others I like. So all right, I'll watch this. It turns out to be another sleeper. I like, I like dark B-movies that are graphic and uh, relentlessly depressing. I love relentlessly depressing, but not gratuitously violent movies. Does that make sense to you? What they're doing on Netflix is putting out gratuitous, gratuitously violent gr gr dreck. Garbage. Every scene a murder, a killing, a shooting, a banging. They can go to hell. They destroy the art form. So I watched that and enjoyed that. I don't know what I watched last night, but I fell asleep like a baby, probably from the half a bottle of wine, good friendship, and good food. And I intended to go to the beach, as I said to you today. I was craving sounding, hearing the pounding ocean. We've had horrible weather here in uh, this uh, area that I live in. It's been two months of wind. It's been relentlessly windy and windy. I live down near the bay. Now, I know the Mark Twain, the, the coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. I get it. I understand it. But when you live in it, and day after day after day after day, it gets to you. So I said, All right, the only way to cure this is to go into more wind and fog. <laughs> I'm going to go to the beach, out of Stinson Beach or Inverness or something like that. I wouldn't go all the way to Lamont or it's too far. I wake up this morning, and once again, it's like nuclear winter out there. Great. And you know, unless the Bay Area has good weather, it's hopeless. There's nothing here. There's almost nothing here but weather. And when the weather turns bad, it's, the, it's a terrible place to live. Terrible. So on top of it being bad weather again, it's filled with smoke. 
I look up the weather map or the air quality index and I see it stinks 70, 72, 69. And it's because of the fires again. And I say it's God's wrath. It's getting even with Governor Newsom. It's getting even with the people of the state who think they are all so great and wonderful and that they are God. No, it's not caused by global warming, moron. It's caused by mismanagement of forests by you, you left-wing idiots. Anyway, but there's a forest fire, so the air sucks. So I said, all right, I'll tell you what. I said, I'm going to go out to the beach anyway. So look at the air quality map. It's as bad on the beach as it is where I live, so I'm not going anywhere. So instead, I said, I'll start my podcast for Tuesday with something I've been thinking about doing. And I'll do it on a positive subject. I don't want to, I don't want to do any more, more politics for a while. It's so negative. What this government is doing to this country and to the people, particularly demonizing the white middle class, is so depressing. What the Biden gang is doing to this country right now is exactly what Stalin did to the farmers in the Soviet Union before they seized their farms. They started by debasing them. They started by calling all the productive farmers of the Soviet Union kulaks. And the, the, the Russian word for kulak is exploiter. So first they ran a campaign calling the farmers kulaks. And what happened was after that, they took the farms away from the farmers and the government took over the farming in the Soviet Union, like Bernie Sanders would like to do with every industry in this country, and 30 million Russians starved to death. Ask the Ukrainians about the starvation in the Soviet Union. They were hit amongst the hardest because many of the farmers of the Soviet Union were in that region of Russia at the time called Ukraine, which is the breadbasket of Russia, kulaks. So they first they, remember what I, first they demonized them the way Bernie Sanders the vermin in the media like Anderson Cooper and the other scum of the earth are demonizing the middle class in this country, mainly white middle class people like you. How do I know who you are? Because I know who my audience largely is. It's going on in Western Europe as well. And behind it all are, middle, are white people, by the way, driving this, using people of color as their shock troops, which I wrote about 30 years ago. If you think the violence in the streets of New York, San Francisco, and Chicago, and L.A. is by chance, you're wrong. They're letting it happen in order to scare you to death. There is a crime wave in this country, all right, but it's not coming from white supremacists. If you look at the demographics of those being beaten up and those doing the beating, I think you'll figure out who's doing it. Everyone knows this in this country. Everyone knows it. What can you do about it? Well, first, know it going, what's going on before you can do anything about anything. So I said, the hell with it. I hate politics right now. It's too, it's too heavy. And a friend of mine died last week, and I didn't find out till Monday. And I did a podcast about him. A great American has died. That's why I use the phrase a great American. He was a great American, an inventor, um, a benefactor to people, a philanthropist compared to these liars. So my friend died, Maurice Campbell, who was a great American, an inventor, invented wonderful things, and a philanthropist, but an all-around wonderful person. So I was, I, you know, I was sad for a couple of days. I mean, I'm not sitting in mourning right now. He was sick for a while. He lived to 94, and he lived a great life. He was a wonderful man. But, you know, Teddy died last uh, Thanksgiving. I was sick for three months so with that. Now he died, another friend died, you know, what, what are you going to do? You get older, that's what happens. you got to expect it unless you're the one they're talking about. So here I am. So I was going to go to the beach. I can't go to the beach. The air sucks out at the beach the same as it does here. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do a podcast. So we send out this thing to, would you like Michael to read from one of his favorite books? And most of the people said, yes, I, I chose the importance of living. See, isn't it wonderful when we're not promoting a book? It's an obscure book that I read when I was 18 years old. This is a used copy printed in uh, 1937. This must be a first edition. I think it's a first edition. Not that it matters. Was it worth $5? Why am I reading from this today for my podcast for Tuesday? And what is this about this Sunday sermon? I'm reading from it because there's so little hope in the world right now and so little inspiration in the world. Everything is negative and horrible. We have a senile, evil Mussolini in the White House. One day he's cogent, the next day he looks like he's senile. It's, it's somewhat of an act going on. There's a little, a lot of big Chinjaganti and Joe Biden, who's a professional liar, perhaps the worst liar in American history. There is no example of an American president who has not only been a compulsive and pathological liar as bad as Joe Biden that I have ever read about or seen. And the only reason he gets away with it is because of people like you.
you leftist fools, because you think you're not going to be caught up in this big lie, you're mistaken. You already have been. And you may think you're going to be the last person on the Titanic, but you won't be the last person on the Titanic, I can guarantee you. Those who try to push men like me off the boat first will eventually push you off the boat. But I don't want to go there because they're not pushing me off any boat. They'll go off the boat before I do. As whatever my age is, no one's pushing me off this boat. Michael Savage, a host like no other. So anyway, I was watching TV the other night. I rarely watch the news. I turned on Newsmax TV, which I'm fortunate enough to be on twice a week. I'm on uh, Thursday nights in the nine o'clock hour Eastern with Jen Pellegrino. And I'm on Saturdays, three o'clock Eastern, 12 noon uh, Western. At 3 p.m. Western, sorry, 6 p.m. Eastern on the count. And uh, I did a wonderful show yesterday. But Friday night I was watching the news. I turned on Newsmax before I went to sleep. And there was John Tobacco, wonderful host, very smart man. He's the one who kind of talks like an Italian gangster, like, a, you know, like a, a made guy. He may as well be smart, dresses the part, definitely a roughneck. And he used to be a traitor on Wall Street, unlike a traitor in the White House that you have now. And uh, he did a show. So I watched the monologue. It went on 18 minutes called Biden's Lies. I couldn't believe how good this was. Whoever wrote it, he must have written it with someone. I, I couldn't believe it. And they go all the way back to when this piece of crap in the White House, this lying, lying, deceitful horror in the White House. He went all the way back to him saying that he graduated Annapolis. He went to the Naval Academy. Virtually everything Biden has said his entire political life has been a lie. And you know, the purpose of the media is to be a thorn in the side of the liars, a thorn in the side of the politicians. Because when you become Anderson Cooper, or worse yet, and there are people much worse than Anderson Cooper, he's such a lightweight, he's not even a threat. He looks like what he is. Not only is he lighting the loafers, he's lighting the temple. So he's not really a threat because he looks like a putz, like, like a piece of uh, cotton in the wind. So who takes him seriously? Jake Tapper's worse than him because he takes himself seriously and thinks he's a serious man, but I can look right through him. He's the type I ran away from when I left New York. I I, I'm bored. I hated that type. That self-righteous fraud. But there are others worse than him. So I watched this. I liked it. The big lies of Joe Biden. you got to try to catch it on Newsmax TV by John Back. This man lied virtually about everything he's ever said from the day he appeared on the political scene. I call Biden the accidental president, but it's no accident that he is the president destroying this country. He's a perfect stooge for the forces of the left who have now, they have now everything they've ever dreamed of and pulling his strings on none other than the most evil man in American political history, Bernie Sanders, one of the worst human beings imaginable, a reincarnation of Karl Marx in America. Don't fall for the Jewish grandfather thing. This guy is 100% evil. 100% a fraud and an evil man. He's poisoned the minds of millions of young girls who now think that progressivism is going to save the planet. They know nothing about the history of Maoist China. They know nothing about Stalinist Russia. They know nothing about Eastern Europe under the Soviet heel. Nothing. And what they like to do is usher us into that world, pretending it's going to be a paradise. So again, I refer to two books I'm not going to get to today. Nen Shang, Life and Death in Shanghai. You'll, 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 I've talked about it on one of my podcasts. Uh, but I actually interviewed this lady, Yong Chang, who wrote Wild Swans. Try to find it in my podcast library. The reason her book is so important is because her family were members of the Communist Party in China. Ancient Chinese family. And uh, there's so much in this. Her father was one of the great communist Chinese. He was in the communist Chinese elite, a world of privilege where only the loyal were allowed to survive like in the Democrat Party today. And what happened was, after a brief period in the Red Guards herself, she turned against the tyranny of Mao. So the Red Guards today would be the progressives of America under occasional cortex and that kind of scum. And this great Chinese lady tells the story of the cultural revolution of the type we are going through now in which her parents were denounced, tormented, and sent to labor camps, far from the luxuries of the homes they had known. Her father, who had been a cohort of Mao Zedong, 
stood up to Mao and was driven insane and gradually hounded to death. She herself, only a teenager, was exiled at the edge of the Himalayas and worked as a peasant and a barefoot doctor. You've got, you've got to hear this podcast I did. I wouldn't expect you're going to read the book. But when you hear what they did to the Chinese during the Cultural Revolution, and you compare it to what is going on in America today, unless you are stupid, you don't see the parallels. Now, I almost said, and that's the end of my sermon for the day. But I'm really not finished. I just got started. I've covered movies, books, weather, and some other things. I don't even know if it's recording that well. I hope it is. And I hope you've enjoyed this so far. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up from my pulpit, turn around and go to the other side of the phone. I want your comments to say, yes, it's coming in loud and clear. I love it. Or I can't hear a word you said. Nothing was recorded. Let's see, what are you saying here? It says 2629, folklore one. This is, I'm really enjoying this loud and clear. Yes, I hear you, it's just low. Get closer to the phone and get a lapel mic. Oh, again? It was low, darn it. Okay, well, I'll get closer to the mic. There we are. Can you hear me now? Of course you can, I'm yelling now. So I think I more or less covered everything I wanted to cover today. I've tied together art, politics, weather, poetry. I haven't put much science into this today because there's no point to it. If you are young and do not understand that there is no paradise on earth and that those who promise you paradise are liars and the only paradise is within, just as the kingdom of God is within you, then you know nothing. So I think I will conclude with a reading from Lin Yutang. I think this will all wind up on my podcast Tuesday as well. So there's a chapter here called On Growing Old Gracefully. Okay, let's look at that one. And he talks about old age and youth and childhood. He says, since childhood and youth and old age occupy half of our life, it's important that the young and the old live a satisfactory life. It is true that the young are more helpless and can take less care of themselves. But on the other hand, they can get along better without material comforts than the old people. And he goes on to saying how in China, in the traditional culture, the elders were revered. Yeah, like in America, huh? In America, the elders are hated. They're spit upon. And which subgroup in America is it who was attacking the elders in the streets of America? Pushing them, shoving them, punching them. Who? Oh, it's, it's the, the Irish nuns who were doing that, right? Oh, no, I don't think so. So in ancient China, the elders were taken care of. And there's a Chinese saying, water flows downwards and not upwards, the Chinese always say. And therefore, the affection for parents and grandparents is something that stands more in need of being taught by culture. A natural man loves his children, but a cultured man loves his parents. In the end, the teaching of love and respect for old people became a generally accepted principle. And if we are to believe some of the writers, the desire to have the privilege of serving their parents in their old age actually became a consuming passion. The greatest regret a Chinese gentleman could have was the eternally lost opportunity of serving his old parents with medicine and soup on their deathbed, or not to be present when they died for a high... Anyway, I don't, want, I don't want to go on with the death anymore. I'm going to get maudlin. And I, I've lived in the San Francisco area since 1974, and I remember, I don't see it anymore, but in the 70s, the 80s, the early 90s, I used to love seeing young Chinese... I want to show you something. Can you hear me now? You see what I have on my desk, my dining table? Everything's a studio space for me. Where I eat is where I work. Where I work is where I eat. That's kind of living in a loft. It's like an open loft. So I'm not going to show you the manuscript. I picked up a story that I'd written years ago that had been transcribed, and I found out it was transcribed wrongly in the copy I found. So I had to go find the original manuscript which I found in my perfect script right here. My handwriting is beautiful. There's a piece called Empty Pedestal, which I am told I read a version of along the way, but it's not the original version, which I'm going to have to redo here. I could have called it the amoeba-like grasp of sex, but I did not. And it will be included in my forthcoming Kindle book called Roses, which I've read pieces of on Kindle over the last year. But after I include the empty pedestal in it at the end, I think I found out, see, after I finished it, I realized that the empty pedestal, which had been written before it, uh, belongs in that volume, even though I didn't know it. And that's what I wanted to say to you. 
this inside, I don't know, sound fades in and out. Oh, I was afraid of that. Sound fades in and out. Could be because my hand was on the microphone. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to pop it around and bid you adieu. This is, I'm sorry, this is Michael Savage, not on air. Michael Savage off air. Taking you on a brief walk around the studio, which may as well be a loft in my mind, because it doesn't matter where it is. But remember how I began the sermon today. That's how I'm going to end it. Not with the tragic, tragic comedy faces, but with this. Because as I will demonstrate to you before the sermon comes to its conclusion today, we started this with the sands of time trickling down. Look what went on in the 37 minutes I've been with you. Treasure your time. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.